Our scripture this morning is from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. about the early church can really cause us, the church of some 2,000 years later, the early church can really cause us to feel some kind of way about how we are today, can it? I mean, just look at how the early church is described in today's text. Of one heart and soul, while we are in the midst of a world that is not only filled with so many different expressions of Christianity in our denominations, but we as one denomination are in the midst of deep division. No one claimed private ownership of any possessions while we are in the midst of a world that is dominated by capitalism and materialism, where we are constantly pushed to have a better home, car, job, etc., etc., etc. There was not a needy person among them. While we are in a world that finds nearly 656 million people living in extreme poverty, and if you just want to consider more local definitions of poverty, around 800,000 Alabamians live below the federal poverty level. Surely then, we can't say there is not a needy person among us today. Now, before we just let ourselves off the hook and tell ourselves that it was easier then than now to be of one heart and soul, that it was easier then than now to make it such that there was not a needy person among ourselves, that it was easier then and now not to claim private ownership of any possessions. Before we do that, why don't we just take a brief moment, quietly, to reflect on what first century life was like as a follower of an upstart movement that came from within a religion that was not approved of by the ruling empire. With all of that in mind then, let us consider what this text offers to us, the church of today. 
It is not a text to make us feel bad, but it is one to challenge us. It is a text to challenge us to do as the early church did and find strength and power in the story they had to share with the world and to do all that they could to share that story, not just in preaching the gospel, but in living the gospel. The community that the apostles were leading, the community from which the apostles were giving their testimony, the community that supported the apostles in their work, that community was one that understood their mission and put all of themselves, including their possessions, into the work. In fact, it seems to me that by giving up that which had been personal to the community that they were a part of, those who did so were freed up from their possessions to do great work and that those same possessions freed the community to do that work. The scripture today tells us that those who owned land or homes sold them and brought the proceeds to the apostles as leaders of the community for use by the community. The scripture even names one who sold land and laid the proceeds before them. And just to be forthcoming, the scripture goes on to tell of a husband and wife who sold property and brought just a portion of it to the community while telling them that it was all of it. And that story does not end so well for that husband and wife. But I will let you look at that if you wish after church. But the scripture tells us that those who own property sold it and gave the proceeds to the church. Does this mean that everyone sold their property for the church? It's not likely. First of all, the early church didn't have church buildings. What they had were the homes of believers to meet in. So no, it is not likely that everyone sold their property for the church. And second, there's probably a little bit of a translation issue in our text today, where our text says, as many as owned lands or houses sold them, may be translated from time to time, those who had lands or houses sold them. If you read the NIV translation of the Bible, that's actually how it translates it. So no, not everyone sold their property for the church, but they did so as the needs arose. And what of all the talk, all the talk that we do today in church about all the other ways that we support the ministries of the church, prayers, presence, witness, service, aren't those important? Yes, absolutely. Those are and always have been important in the church, although today's text admittedly does focus on those physical, those tangible gifts. Again, what those gifts did, though, was to free those who shared them so that the whole community could carry out their witness and their service. It freed them to focus on prayer. It freed them to be truly present in the world, not tied down by the worries of ownership or on where sustenance would come from. It kind of depended on what end of the material wealth spectrum you looked at it from. In short, 
It was and is a true blessing to give up what we have to focus on something other than our possessions. To focus on how what we have can bless others. And when an entire faith community leans in to this blessing of being a blessing, truly amazing things can happen. For the early church, it was a lack of need among those in their numbers and the spreading of a powerful, transformative gospel to the world in both word and deed. And for us today, it is not just the continued preaching of the gospel, but it is also the support that we give to the ministries of the United Methodist Church worldwide and to local ministries like Second Shift, which we lifted up to you today. For us today, it is not just the continued study of the Word of God in our small groups within our church walls, but it is also the support that we give to the youngest in our midst through our children's and youth ministries. I say that in particular because I want to highlight to you the work of not only our church staff in these areas, but also the time that lay people pour into these ministries every week. Through the work of our children's director, we have had 40 to 60 children at our once a month Sunday afternoon event where they gather for fun and have a VBS-like learning experience. A few of our youth, with the encouragement of their youth director, have begun to pool their musical talents to form a praise band. And through the work of two or three dedicated parents, we now have a step-up group, that's our fourth through sixth grade group, that is going to double the size of our youth group when they reach that milestone. Those parents have gone above and beyond. They lead the Sunday school class, but they have also made that room into a very special place for those children. They have hosted events in their home and they have taken them out for fun activities. There are a million ways that our staff and our lay people have poured themselves into these, our youngest. I think that if you were to praise any of the individuals who have given their gifts and their time, their interests and the ways that they have, they would say that it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal. Every little gift that is given is a drop in a bucket that soon overflows. And that is what church is at its best, combining all of the little bits of the people that make it up, their talents, their passions, their gifts, their time, combining all of the little gifts that are freely and joyfully given into one big transformative force that makes a difference, not only in the lives of those who give, but in the lives of those who receive, both those inside the church and those outside. So may we, this stewardship season, all be prayerful in considering how God is asking us each to embody the truth of the gospel in what and how we give so that our message may resound throughout this community that we are blessed to be a part of. May we take Jesus' words from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. May we take those words to heart 
realizing that we have blessing upon blessing poured out upon us and should then be more than ready to bless others with our bounty. And may the Spirit give us strength and power necessary to trust that when we open our hands and our hearts, we lose nothing and we gain so very much as we come to know through giving what true fullness of life in God looks like. Let us pray. Merciful Heavenly Father, you have given and given and given to us. And yet this world would teach us that we need to protect what we have been given. That we need to hold it close. And yet Christ taught us to be free givers. That your blessings never run out. And so, Lord, as we read of the early church and the way that they shared all that they had so that every little bit would come together into this amazing, overwhelming blessing, not only to their community but to the world, we ask that you would show us what that looks like for us here at Alabaster First. What gifts are you asking each of us individually to throw in to this big, beautiful pot to bring the kingdom to earth. Lord, thank you for your gifts. Thank you for the talents and passions that you have given each one of us. And thank you for putting us together in this very unique way that we are here in Alabaster. May all that we do be pleasing to you and may you be glorified in our actions and in our words. In Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.